Polls show that our guest today is among the best-known judges in America, possibly the best-known judge in the U.S., despite retiring from the bench back in 1981. Of course, that same year, Judge Joseph Wapner moved from the Los Angeles Superior Court to television, enjoying a 13-year run on the People's Court. Actual litigants received a fee to appear on TV if they agreed to abide by Judge Wapner's binding arbitration. Using the same principles which applied in California courtrooms, Judge Wapner applied real law to real people in real cases to inform as it entertained. And in 2008, Judge Wapner is still detailing the workings of our judicial system. He's issued a handy guide titled, The Secrets of Winning Small Claims Court. Don't look for it, this one in your local bookstore. It's available only online as an ebook. It can be found at www.wapnerguide.com. Having been to small claims, I can tell you this book is full of useful information for plaintiffs and defendants. We're happy to talk to the author about his guide, and we hope a little bit about the People's Court, too, because I must confess, I enjoyed the show for years. It's our privilege to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Judge Joseph Wapner. Thank you very much for having me. Well, Judge, the People's Court was not exactly a small claims court, but it was pretty close, was it not? Well, it was exactly a small claims court, because okay. the cases were taken directly from small claims court. Well, your book has an addendum, which I think we might want to start out with. It lists some of the criteria which you need. It's very useful. And we should note that uh, California, in California now, you can go to small claims for up to $7,500. And back when you started the TV show, it was only 1500 When I first went to small claims court, way back when, it was $50. <laughs> wow. 7500 bucks makes people think, you know, it may be worth your time to do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But... The- the best thing to do is to try and settle your dispute before you get to court. Well, yeah, you talk about that. Your introduction starts with a plea to people to please get a contract before you do business. That's and, right. And you note that plain English will serve a person quite well. Exactly. And you also note that the statute of limitations for contracts, four years for written, two for oral. Can, can you clarify what constitutes an oral contract? Well, an oral contract is when you and I get together and say, we're going to do such and such, and uh, your payments will be so much, and, and uh, you, you discuss what your agreement is. That's oral. And uh, obviously written is when you write, write those things down on a piece of paper. Well, there's, an, there's a humorous line that an oral contract is only good as the paper it's written on, but that's, that's really not true. It is binding. It is binding, but it's a matter of how you're going to prove it. Yeah. It it's, gets to be a... You know, he said, she said, or, or vice versa. Well, one thing that's new from back when you were doing the, the, the show on television is that there's a lot of research people can, da- can now do on the Internet, which is really quite a big help. Well, I would think so. A key fact for small claims court is that um, you can't usually file against an, a defendant in another state. So you talk about in the book how important it is to determine the location to file your claim. That's right. You've got to know where to file your claim because it's very important. And you also have to find out uh, who your defendant is, whether or not it's a it's a individual that you're suing, or whether it's a corporation. I never really thought about that, but sometimes determining who exactly you're suing is critical. Well, it, absolutely. S- suppose uh, you get uh, slip and fall in, the, in a McDonald's restaurant. You're not going to sue the manager. You're going to maybe serve the manager as a representative of the corporation. But you've got to sue. You've got to sue the corporation. You got to find, I guess, a local jurisdiction for that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, you note that in the book that before you go to court, a person needs to write a demand letter. How, how does one do that? Well, it's very simple. You just you write out the, what your claim is, all the specifics of it, and demand payment for X dollars. It, it's really relatively simple. All right. Some things can be and can't be compensated in small claims. Uh, what are some things that really can't be? Obviously, first of all, the, the amount. You, you're limited in the amount that you can sue for. It, all, it depends on uh, what, you're, what you're trying to uh, accomplish. I was sort of surprised when I read the book. You noted that, uh, say, say someone uh, doesn't want to give back their engagement ring and, and the person takes them to court. The court can't actually make the person give the ring back, but they can, they can award the, the value of the ring. Exactly. Well, uh, serving. Serving a defendant can be kind of tricky. What, what are some things people should keep in mind? Well, the, the point is that you can't serve the papers yourself as a plaintiff. You have to get someone else over the age of 18 to serve. And usually the, uh, the, the sheriff or the, uh, in the jurisdiction would be a good one to have serve, or you can have a friend do it. The person has to be over the age of 18. On your television program and, and also in, in your book, I note there's some, some bits of dry humor, and I wanted to quote a bit uh, uh, for our listeners from the book. Um, you, you're talking in this, in this quotation about if a person's being the defendant, what they may want to do. And, and so you noted that uh, if you know you're being sued, accept service in a dignified way. If the plaintiff is motivated, they'll keep trying, and eventually they'll catch up with you in an embarrassing situation. If you refuse a certified mail that the plaintiff sends you, you might find a sheriff's deputy walking to your office asking for you and being escorted to your workspace by your boss. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. That's a very vivid uh, picture of how things might go wrong. But uh, the, the, in, in California, I guess the, the, uh, you can use the sheriffs for a lot of functions. Yes. Okay. Our guest is Judge Joseph Wapner. His new ebook is titled The Secrets of Winning Small Claims Court. Judge Wapner, I liked your suggestion that a person should practice outlining their cases as concisely and logically as possible before your day in court. I, I know having been there that you, know, you get a little bit nervous sometimes, but on your TV show, a lot of participants seemed very scattered. Uh, it, used to, it used to get me, I say, well, what happened on such and such a date? Well, my brother and I, uh, we, we were talking and blah, 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 <laughs> and uh, everything that comes out that's irrelevant. <laughs> And waste a lot of time. And you had to sort of like return people like, well, what, what's, what's the issue at stake here? And so I think a person can really uh, help themselves by getting that clear in their own mind. That's right. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think having watched the TV show, you did see some very poorly prepared cases. Uh, okay, what, what's the worst argument you saw from the bench? <laughs> well, the worst argument was the case I had uh, involving a TV repairman who lost its, the plaintiff's uh, television set. <laughs> And he was being sued for the value of the set. Uh huh. Well, he obviously lost the case because he had to pay for that. He filed a countersuit. And the countersuit was, he says, I went home and he said that night in my sleep, he says I had got into a fight with the with the plaintiff, and I gave myself a roundhouse and I hit myself in the in the mouth and knocked out my front tooth. And he was suing for damages for a loss of his tooth. It was hysterical. <laughs> Well, well, obviously he did. Obviously he lost. I did note that uh, a lot of times people seem to show up for court dressed as if they were going to an amusement park, and that really has to be a bad move in any court. That's a very bad move. Uh, chewing gum is another thing. Many a time I asked Rusty to ask the 
party to take the gum out of their mouth. And uh, wearing a hat in court is not permissible. <laughs> uh, you, you ought to come dressed nicely. Indeed, indeed. Well, a, a big point in your book, you note that sadly, even if you win a judgment in court, that is certainly not the same thing as collecting uh, your money. You get into some details in the book about that, but, but briefly, how can you get your money when the person just doesn't pay up? Well, one thing that, that you can always do is you find out if there is a bank account or you can uh, garnish the wages. You can uh, haul them into court and examine them for their assets. And one little trick is you get them into court and you say, how much money do you have with you? And the guy drags out his wallet. I've got $100 here. The court, you can ask the court to turn the money over to you to help satisfy the judgment. Well, that, that's, that's a good one. I, I do want to amplify a couple statements in your book. I didn't, of course, when I went to court, I hadn't had the benefit of reading it. Uh, you note that even a, a bounce check uh, can be useful to you to help locate a bank account. And I myself foolishly once failed to copy a check when I later wanted that data. So it's good to keep records. Oh, absolutely. And, and something else you talk about, uh, putting a lien in a, on property. How does one do that? Well, you, you have to get the uh, certified copy of the judgment, file it with the court, Notice that the the, uh, the property and, and the description of the property, and uh, again, use the sheriff to, uh, to file it for you. Yes, I, w- I want to jo- uh, note, Judge Wapner, that uh, here in Sacramento, I had to do this once, and uh, the, the clerks did help me obtain a lien against somebody's uh, home, which was... That's right. You notice it's not a fast way to get your money, but uh, that, that is something you can really put into play. Well, you can use pressure that way. Yes, luckily, luckily in my case, the person had to refinance, and so uh, they had to deal with me, and that's, that's how I got my money back. That's right. Well, you, know, you note in the book that the, that the defendants basically have to use the same principles as the plaintiff. Absolutely, sure. You, your people's court, it spawned a lot of imitators. Do you have any favorites among those who have followed in your wake? No. <laughs> I know there's, there's currently a version of it out there. Well, there's several versions. And I guess Ed Koch, ex-New York City Mayor Ed Koch, did a later version of your show. Uh, he was the one that, that uh, came right after I uh, left the show. Did you approve of Judge Ed Koch's decisions? I didn't watch it. All right. At the end of, uh, of the People's Court, the announcer, he would come on, he'd advise people to stand up for their right, rights in court. But in America, uh, we're seen as a nation that's very litigious, and I thought it was interesting that uh, in the secrets of winning small claims court, you give advice on avoiding court in the first place. Do you think Americans are possibly in court too much these days? Possibly, yes. <laughs> That's why I, I really would advocate trying to settle a dispute before you file uh, in small claims or anything else. And, and, of course, you mentioned, too, that you can still work with the person after you've got this, after the judgment. That's right. Yeah. Well, J- Judge Wapner, while you were on the bench in Los Angeles, I'm sure you had quite a you know, certain amount of prominence. But you went on the television, it made you a familiar face to the whole nation, and I've always been curious, how does a person keep that level of recognition from just upending your entire life? Well, you just have to look at it uh, logically and, and realistically. Uh, I have the same friends I've always had. I, I see the same people I always did. It's really not too difficult, but uh, if you, it depends a lot on when you achieve this notoriety. Okay. I, I really received it after a really uh, long life prior to the People's Court. I was presiding judge of the L.A. Superior Court, 
president of the California Judges Association. And so I, I'd had my, a, a claim before the People's Court. It, but it was a little different, obviously, the, the national notoriety. But uh, it didn't affect my life at all. I'm, I'm certain that probably it was less upending for you than some of these young kids, maybe 18, 19, to become a pop singer, and their, their face is everywhere, and they really have no life to balance that against. That's exactly right. But, but nevertheless, Judge, say you're in Safeway, you're buying some bread or something, you're walking down the aisle, and people look at you, and they recognize you, and they, I mean... Did anyone ever tell you you look like Judge Whopper? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes. <laughs> I happen to be him. <laughs> I can only imagine that must have had a lot of funny episodes. Yes. Judge, I asked a lawyer friend if he had any questions for you, and he suggested that, that I just throw one out there, uh, a Supreme Court case. Of course, it, you, you dealt with property issues, compensation issues. There's a famous recent case, Kilo versus City of New London, dealt with eminent domain. I don't know if you'd care to weigh in on that, but if you did, we'd like to hear your opinion. Well, I, I wouldn't weigh in on it because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I learned a long time ago that it's, it's okay to have opinions, but ha they have to have a basis. Well, that's I think that's sound advice. Well, in closing, ask a few questions about some favorite cases you had, perhaps maybe starting with your time on the bench in Los Angeles. Do any really stand out from your 20-year uh, career there? Well, I guess the most famous case that I, that I had was for settlement purposes. It involved Jack Kent Cook and his wife. Uh, Jack Kent Cook was the owner of the Lakers and the Washington Redskins. And I handled uh, their divorce case. And after the case was over, he invited me to the Super Bowl in San Diego. It was 1984. She called me up and said, I'm going to get married again. Would you perform the ceremony? <laughs> so that was a, a nice thing. So it sounds like both sides were fairly happy with you. Yes, they were. <laughs> Well, I guess I have to ask a final question, uh, uh, Judge Wapner. Among the many television show cases that you that you uh, adjudicated, and of course there were so many new uh, memorable ones, can you cite a couple of them that really stand out? You mentioned one already, but I think there's there were so many. The one that that's really stands out in my mind was a young girl who uh, came to court with her guardian at litem and uh, who was 18 years old. And she was suing her grandmother for the return of a, uh, or, or damages for her grandmother having taken away a hope chest she'd given her for Christmas. And uh, after hearing about five minutes of testimony, I said, I I'd like to see you in chambers without cameras. And uh, Rusty came with me, of course. I w always wanted him to be there sort of as a witness. Yeah. And uh, we uh, talked for about a half hour. And all of all the parties started crying, and uh, they said, we've settled our case. So we went back on the bench, and I finalized it by asking each if they've settled the case, and they did. And years later, I got a letter from this young woman saying that she and her grandmother were now friends, and, and they thanked me for, for what I had done to help them. So that, that was a case that stands out in my mind. And this is kind of unfair to spring this sort of question. And there were so many cases I know, but there was there was a lot of fairly good comedy moments on that television program. Uh, do any of those stand out to you? Well, I remember the case I had involving a <coughs> grandfather clock, and I asked Rusty to bring me the clock to look, take a look at it, and Rusty dropped it on the bench. <laughs> uh, obviously, not on purpose. And uh, I said, uh, 
Well, uh, it was a cheap clock, wasn't it, sir? And he said, no. <laughs> I, I, I had to add that, so I gave it a little humor. The ebook is The Secrets of Winning Small Claims Court. It's available through www.wapnerguide.com. If you have any possibility of going to small claims court in the future, I think you just might want to read what's in it. We've been speaking with its author, Judge Joseph Wapner. Judge Wapner appeared on The People's Court for 2,484 episodes. Judge Wapner, I want to thank you very much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. All righty. Bye. Bye-bye. That's it for the program. Our thanks to William Poundstone and Judge Joseph Wapner, two good a guests as anybody could hope for. All right, on next week's program, we'll talk to someone who fought some of those fires last fall down in Southern California. That would be Fire Captain Brent Stangland. And we'll put a call to our sister station, KUCI, down in Irvine to talk to the host of Subversity, Daniel C. Song, who was personally acquainted with the late Philip Agee. We promised a few weeks back that we talk about uh, the late CIA agent and, uh, and his book. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our intern is Letty Chavez. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. <laughs>